Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Well, hi again, everyone. I'm 1010 Wins Sports Director Mark Renee, and this is a very special edition of On the Mark, as today we are joined by the NBA Hall of Famer and the former senator from the state of New Jersey, Knicks legend, and the star of the show rolling along an autobiographical documentary that has just premiered today on Max. It is Bill Bradley. Senator, such an honor to have you. Thank you for joining us. Mark, great to be with you. So the first thing I have to ask as I'm watching you roll along on stage, was this a scripted performance or off the cuff? Uh, No, it was scripted. Uh, I wrote the script over a year and then memorized it. It was so incredibly descriptive. What what stood out to me, especially in the very beginning, your early basketball memories with you acting out the motions and the onomatopoeia of bounce, 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 and squeak of the sneakers and the swish of the net. Uh, where did you come up with the idea for these things? Uh, well, I wanted to give people a feel for what it was like. And, you know, when you play basketball, it begins by bouncing a ball. And the driveway, in the backyard, the playground. Then you start shooting. Your knees are bent. Your elbows are on the ball. And your eyes are on the rim. And you shoot and follow through. How simple the basic act is. I don't know when my passion, my interest turned to passion, but it was very young. Well, there were so many things that I took away from watching this. It it was probably, outside of this interview, the best hour and a half of my week so far. So thank you very much for that. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I appreciate that. What... Uh... What was the, the, the genesis of the, of the idea that, that eventually brought this to Tribeca and, and now to everybody's screens at home? Well, um, I gave my political papers uh, when I left politics to Princeton. And they did an oral history where they interviewed about 60 people about what it was like working with me and so forth. And I invited all 60 to a reception. About 40 showed up. I stood up and told stories about each one of the 40, uh, one of whom was a guy named Manny Eisenberg, a friend of 50 years who had produced 72 plays on Broadway at that point. 
And afterwards, he came up to me and said, sounds a little bit like Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain. Better work something up. And so for the next year, I uh, wrote the script and um, began. Then I went to 20 cities around the country to workshop it, you know, go to subscribers in Austin, Texas or San Diego or Chicago or sometimes in law firms often in theaters and I'd read it and then I'd say, what do you think? And the audience would make comments and I'd take notes and then it gradually evolved. And uh, that's how it happened. The idea was to make it into a, uh, into a stage production and then COVID hit. And I uh, suddenly I was stuck in New York and stage production wasn't a possibility. And ultimately, I decided, well, what I'll do is I'll rent a theater. Uh, and by that time, the idea of a film had, had germinated. You know, on, on the, one of these 20-city tours, I read it in the commissary of the Warner Brothers, of the Warner, Warner Brothers, on the Warner Brothers lot. And a guy afterwards came up named Mike Tolan, and he said, you know, this could be a film. So he planted the idea. And then during COVID, I managed to connect with people who wouldn't return my phone calls. Dan Sullivan, a good example, a great tech the director. And um, then when I decided I was going to do it as a film, I knew I had to memorize it. So I walked around Central Park memorizing it. And uh, then when I had it memorized, I had to do it every day. So every day at 3.30 in the rec room of our apartment building, I would do the show and it kind of got around. Sometimes it'd be 10 people, four people, three people. And one day, two people came in, one of whom was Frank Oz, who's the great uh, director of Jim Henson movies and yeah. Sesame Street and uh, was Yoda in Star Wars. And afterwards, he said, You know, I want to help you do this. And so he helped with coaching and also with uh, giving editing notes. And then I ran into my good buddy, Spike Lee, who I'd known for a long time, and said, I did this thing, and maybe I could do it for you. He said, well, come on, come on over to my office in Brooklyn. And so I went over, and he said, what do you need? And I said, how about a glass of water and a stool? And so I did it for him for an hour and 45 minutes, at the end of which he had tears in his eyes. And I thought, well, maybe this is going to go somewhere. And that that's how it evolved. And these were all angels along the way, you know, whether it was Manny or Mike Tolan or Dan Sullivan or, or Spike or, or uh, Frank Oz. And then two weeks before Tribeca, um, I had opened the show with the film with a song by Van Morrison called And Let the, he the Healing Has Begun. And two weeks before... Rebecca, his agent called and said, Ben does not give you permission to use this song. Uh -oh. So I called my last angel, Steve Van Zant of the E Street Band, and say, hey, Steve, uh, I need a song. And he's a friend. I'd send him a version of the show about six months earlier. And uh, he said, well, Bruce and I, Bruce wrote a song in the 80s for Clarence Clemens and me called Summer at Signal Hill. Maybe that'll work. So I got it. It did work. 
And then ultimately, since they sold their catalog to Sony, I got Sony's permission to use it. And that's how it happened. And, you know, the, these angels along the way just uh, made it happen for me. And uh, I've all, I wanted to do it from the moment Manny said, sounds like uh, Hal Holbrook doing Mark Twain. Yeah, that is a very apt comparison. And for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, get to your Max app or however it is that you receive Max, what used to be HBO Max, and uh, and give this thing a look. Rolling along with Bill Bradley as we are rolling along here on On The Mark. So I, I have so many questions, but listening to you answer uh, the previous one, I have to sort of backtrack and ask you as you're strolling through Central Park trying to memorize these lines as as a longtime fan and a longtime constituent. I know if I run into you in Central Park, I, I may be tempted to distract you from the memorization of your lines. How was it that you're able to amble through the park uninterrupted? Well, occasionally there was an interruption. But, you know, if you're looking down at the ground, uh, people... You know, they'll do a double take. They'll say, oh, who, he looks like Bradley. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's not. I don't know. He's gone now. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so people really didn't interrupt that much. That's very interesting. Yeah, it's true. If you're looking at the ground and muttering as you walk through Central Park, people may <laughs> not. That, that's let's a great defense. That, let's stay away from that crazy guy. That, that's a great defense, especially if you're emoting some of the lines. Um, I'm not going to give away uh, all the highlights because we want people to watch the presentation, but but I did have to ask, this was a question that I actually wrote in bold with many question marks and exclamation points uh, dabbled in. You mentioned early on your imaginary friend, Henry, and said that uh, he left when you were 11. And uh, honest to goodness, the, the question is on the page here. Where did Henry go in your mind? I've, I'm not the faintest idea. I mean, Basically, he left um, because he didn't play a role in my life anymore. I don't know where he went. But he got you through some interesting times, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we all have. I don't know if all of us do, but I I was an only child. I grew up um, as the banker's son in a small town in Missouri. And most of my uh, classmates were factory worker sons who worked in a Pittsburgh glass factory. I felt different and alone, and I didn't feel, in some senses, I belonged. Um, and so Henry was my companion. Henry accepted me without question, and that's what imaginary friends do. Okay. Um, you mentioned your parents, uh, or at least your dad, the banker. Um, and and one of the things I took away was uh, your quote from them, uh, be a gentleman and a success, but long story short, do not be a basketball player. What what did they want you to be uh, as far as a career? Well, went? I think maybe, you know, they wanted me to come back to that little town and run the bank or they wanted me to be a lawyer or whatever. Um, but the, the point is that a, a professional basketball player was not in their frame of reference. A uh, U.S. senator was, but that seemed so far away. So neither one of them, but they didn't really go for politics. So... Either one of them really wanted me to be a basketball player or a politician. But they they loved me, and they saw where my passions took me, and they fully supported me uh, in those endeavors. Okay. When did you know as, as a kid that you wanted to be a professional basketball player? I never as a kid wanted to be a professional basketball 
basketball player. I always wanted to be as good as I could be at the level I was at. And that meant winning the championship. In high school, it was, can you be state champion? In college, it was, can you be NCAA champion? And the answer to both those is no. One of them I lost in the finals at state in high school, the other in the semifinals in college. And uh, only with the Knicks did I reach the mountaintop. So, you know, I, I never said I wanted to be a pro. I said I wanted to win the state championship. And then the future took care of itself. I'm just curious. You mentioned that you had accepted an offer from Duke, but then wound up in Princeton kind of at the last minute. What what led to that uh, pivot? Sorry for the basketball pun, by the way. Well, uh, my father, who never graduated from high school, said, uh, you know, after – I'd sign a letter to go to Duke. He said, I think you ought to go to Europe, <laughs> which was an odd thing for him to say. And so I went to Europe on a tour with 13 women and me. They couldn't figure out why I was going to Duke when I could go to Princeton or Yale. Then I came back from that trip, played baseball, broke my foot, and considered the world without basketball, as you always do whenever you're injured. Maybe I'll never play again. And I thought, well, what do I want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to be a diplomat. Well, uh, Princeton had a Woodrow Wilson school. So I thought, well, I'll go to Princeton instead of Duke. And so I made a change on the Sunday night before the freshman class convened at Princeton at Monday morning and the Duke class on Wednesday. And I uh, flew from Missouri to to uh, New Jersey and spent the first night in Princeton on a bed with no sheets. Uh, part of many nights I spent on a bed with no sheets and I wrote a letter to the Duke coach and told him I wasn't going to come and uh, that's how that change took place uh, why no sheets yeah I wanted to be I wanted to be a, why no sheets because I arrived I, I only had my suitcase I didn't have linens with me and they put me in this room and there was a bed but there was no there were no sheets on it that's tremendous. Now, some college beds were simply like not even box springs. They were just coil platforms. So I'm assuming you had at least a mattress. Yeah, had a mattress. Yeah. Okay. After all, this was Princeton. Princeton, right? right yeah. So um, obviously, I mean, you you've played. You know, I'm a sports guy, so I have to ask some sports questions. And and sure. and you know, your foray from sports into politics is very well covered. I think in the presentation here. So I'm not going to give any of that away. But, uh, you know, obviously you, you played for Butch Van Bredikoff, uh, who coached Pete Carrill, who coached at Princeton, um, and and obviously Red Holtzman. Uh, what did you take from those three guys? And as a Hofstra guy, I'm, you know, I was always interested in Butch, uh, who wound up coming yeah. back to finish his career, which was, I always thought, a, a tremendous thing. And that ultimately led to Jay Wright and uh, all of his success, too. So the butterfly effect is really neat. But uh, what did you take from those from those guys uh, that you were able to apply uh, for the rest of your life, not just your playing career, but, you know, as you went into politics too. Well, when I, uh, when I went to Princeton, I went to Princeton. I didn't go to play basketball. And the coach then was a guy named Cappy Capon, who was an older gentleman. Um, and uh, during my freshman year, I came down, I always stayed late to practice and I came down the showers and found him dead in the showers. Oh gosh. And so, you know, he was, there was no longer the coach. And so they got Butch Van Bredikoff to be the coach. 
and we were totally in sync about what basketball, how basketball should be played with a lot of movement and passing and fundamentals and defense. And so it was a great joy to play for him. And, uh, you know, we didn't agree on a lot of things at that time. I was an evangelical Christian and he was, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, bon vivant type. Uh, but, um, uh, we, as, as a coach and a player, we totally harmonized. Uh, so that's what I got from him. And, um, I of course met Pete, uh, because he was a buddy of, uh, Butch's and came to games occasionally. Uh, and I never played for Pete, but always respected him, uh, his standards and his ability to get the most out of his players. And I think both of them understood what I believe about basketball, which is it's the maximum movement of player and of ball, and it rewards unselfishness. And then when I got to the Knicks, Red Holzman was, uh, you know, he only had three rules, which was hit the open man on offense, help out on defense, and, and the big one, the hotel bar belongs to me. Uh, <laughs> He was a coach of men, not boys. No Saturday night pep talks. He only insisted on those three rules. And we'd get to the huddle and different guys would suggest different plays. And he'd say, okay, we'll do that one. Okay, we'll do that one. Uh, so he was not a rigid coach in that sense. Uh, but he was very rigid in terms of the basics of hitting the open man and helping out on defense. Given your exposure to these three legends, uh, did you ever give any thought rather than um... – going into politics, or even after your political career was over? Was there ever any thought to coaching? You know, um, Mark, no, Mark. I, I never I never thought about being a coach. It's a strange, interesting question. I was always more engaged. Basketball for me was always the thing you did to complement your life, you know, whether it was your life as a student or – what, whatever. And even as a pro, I mean, it was my job and I played and I devoted the time to it. But one of the great things about being a pro ball player is you've got plenty of time that you can do other things. And I did other things. I mean, you know, one summer I worked in a poverty program in D.C. Another I taught school in Harlem. Another I worked for an advertising agent. I wrote a book. I did a whole series of things all in the off season. So to me, um, pro was was um, a multi-level experience. I have a handful of questions left that I really do have to get to, so I, I appreciate your time more than words can express. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. 
Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Obviously, Senator from New Jersey. I'm a Jersey guy. Why New Jersey? if you were from Missouri and became famous in New York? Well, I uh, went to school in New Jersey at Princeton. I was in the Air Force Reserves in New Jersey. Uh, it was a kind of a natural place. I loved it. I loved the shore all along. And um, so I decided that I'd rather live in New Jersey than New York. Uh, new Jersey was also uh, small enough that I could get my arms around it. And it was a, a state that had its own political culture. And when I ran the first time, all the machines were against me. But uh, we won and we beat the machines. And after that, uh, you know, I had my own relationship with the people of New Jersey. And um, that was the case for 18 years. Well, as a near lifelong garden stater, I very much thank you for your service to us uh, and, and well i love new jersey i really do love new jersey i mean i think that it's a very special place diverse uh in terms of people diverse in terms of geography the difference between sussex county and cape may county it's like night and day one's flat sandy the other's mountain lakes and our basketball team needs some help so if you can wish some good mojo well, what used to be our basketball team, I still claim ownership of the Nets, even though they moved to Brooklyn, um, which takes me very awkwardly to the Knicks and your thoughts as they are just in coming off of their best month in 30 years. And uh, it was tied for the second best month in franchise history behind a team that you played on uh, back in 1968. Uh, have you been paying attention much to to their uh, I have been paying attention. I'm going to the game, I think, in the next two weeks. I'm going to see one or two games. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of feeling like it's that team where Cassie broke his ankle. They moved me to forward. The starting team gelled. And the last part of the season, we won uh, a lot of games. And we began to believe in ourselves. And that's what happens when you win. You got a 13-2 month. I mean, one way to say, oh, well, that was luck. Another way to say it is, hey, this is the beginning of something. And if you get February, that's 13-2. Uh, to two. Then you got people really believing that they can win it all. And they may or may not win it in one year, but they'll be ready to win it the next year. So it's a very positive development. I like the way the team is playing. I think the acquisition of OG reminded me the acquisition of DeBusher, kind of the missing piece. I uh, certainly want Randall to get better. Uh, Brunson has figured out uh, almost how to make the best player on his team good. And um, to me, uh, the key is always uh, moving without the ball and moving your body and the ball to get the best shot that you can get. And they seem to be doing some of that. But 
the, the, the thing I want to point, note is just what's the psychological thing of this moment? 13 and 2, we can believe in ourselves. We have another good February, and it'll be a short month because of the All-Star game. Then you can believe in yourself going into March. Then you can believe in yourself in, in the playoffs. And then who knows, you know? I'm not I'm not uh I'm not saying championship this year, but what I'm saying is there's a potentially a shift in confidence. And that shift in confidence as a group, and there's a difference between being confident as a player and confident as a team. And once you get the team confidence, then great things can happen. How does a Hall of Famer from a certain era of professional basketball view the current sport as it is? Well, you know, I still believe that the team that wins is the team that is unselfish. I mean, the Warriors, for example, they move the ball and their bodies. And uh, I look and say that that's what a team has to do. Three-point rule changes it. It's a different kind of game. When I played, the game was the maximum movement for the easiest shot closest to the basket. Now you got the complication of the pick and roll at 30 feet and how you keep six guys moving at the same time you do that. Uh, but these are things that can be overcome. But the basic principles of the sport are still uh, what they were when I played. You still have to play defense, uh, and you still have to help each other, and you still have to hit the open man. So you're locked into the sport. Do you enjoy watching the games? Uh, yeah, I would enjoy watching it more if there was less pick and roll and more movement and passing. Uh, but I like it, and the good teams still move and pass. Okay. Takes me to my next question to the former senator from the great state of New Jersey. Um, your thoughts on the current uh, political climate, which has changed so much uh, since your career started and ended. Yeah. Well, I, as I say in the show, you know, the division in the country is disheartening for me. I mean, I... I worked with Republicans uh, when I was in the Senate and they weren't the enemy. They were, we disagreed on some things. Sometimes we agreed on things. The big tax reform bill that was the major bill of my 18 years was a bipartisan bill. Um, and so I look at this division and I say, maybe, maybe we could all learn something from what made the Nick team successful so many years ago. Like take responsibility for yourself. Respect your fellow human being. Disagree with them openly, honestly, civilly. Enjoy their humanity. And the big one, never look down on people you don't understand. And you actually mentioned that very early on in the film. And then to wrap things up, you also said, as I hit my final two questions, and again, appreciate your time. This is tremendous. Uh, you said you wanted to know America as well as you knew the seams of a basketball. How did that yeah. work out in the end? How do you think you fared there? Well, uh, I think it worked out well. I mean, you know, I grew up in Missouri. I represented uh, New Jersey. Um, I would go on these what I called American journey trips, uh, two days um, uh, in the Cajun country in Louisiana, two days with a wheat farmer in South Dakota, the border in El Paso, uh, steel mill in in uh, Ohio, 
all of which were trying to give me a feel for the place, the country, the differences and commonalities. And for about 12 years, I was the chairman of the Water and Power Subcommittee in the Senate in charge of water in 20 Western states. And they were so different from New Jersey or Missouri. So I was always constantly thinking about the country as a whole, the imaginative literature of the country, the history of the country, and my own personal feel for it, having been in all of the places that I made sure I got to. And uh, to me, that's a really important thing. And last question, you've lived such a life, a, a tremendous life. And as you rolled along, again, I apologize for the pun, what do you have left on your to-do list? Well, you know, this the, the, the film, uh, you know, it's, as we talk, we talk about basketball, politics, and Senate, and championships. It's, the film is really more a human journey than it is a hero's journey. And my hope is to go on and live life consistent with my values and with the deep appreciation for the humanity that I share with millions of other people, all kinds, shapes, parts of the world, parts of the country, different political views, um, and to live so that you can honor uh, those things. Um, you know, the reality is that uh, life isn't money and politics. It's not money and power. There's an element of that in life. But it's also having the humility and doing the hard work to achieve excellence. And if you do that, you can take care of your family. And if you do that, and all of us do that, then the country advances. Those are pretty simple things. And I'd like politics to elevate us to face what's really important and not uh, be a politics of, of grievance, uh, but a politics of honor. I think that is better than even an autograph to wrap things up. That That is just tremendous stuff. The film is rolling along. The one-man show's star, creator, and subject is former New Jersey Senator and Basketball Hall of Famer, Knicks legend Bill Bradley. Mr. Senator, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. I really enjoyed the time. Mark, thank you so much for having me. I, I truly, really appreciate it. And 10-10 uh, wins. Okay. That is the legendary Bill Bradley. I'm Mark Ernay, and you're on the mark. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. 
Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.